Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. And normally we're recording from our brilliant sound studios on the 10th floor of the Acme building, overlooking the Flatirons with our lap pool and organic gardens. But this time we're down here at Summer Outdoor Retailer in scenic Denver, Colorado, in case you hear some background noise. But we have terrific guests. We have Anna Frost and we have Jason Schlarb. Welcome, Anna. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. And we're going to talk FKT action as always. And these two have been around the world. Anna, of course, has raced all over the world, and she's a two-time hard rock finisher. And she was on Nolan's 14 a number of years ago. Jason has been, besides racing around the world, you've had your video projects. Unfortunately, I can't even remember them all. There have been so many, but from the Dolomites to Oman to Ushuaia and China, of course. You've been to China a number of times. So we're, let's just get into it right now and have, from your perspective, what are the fastest known times that you're seeing that's moving you? What's, what's turning you on in this sport? You two have a great perspective. I would say, you know, as our sport grows, there's some places that have amazing, amazing ridgelines. And, and I think connecting towns and cultures via these ridgelines are the most interesting to me. Because you were going to a new place, you're experiencing a new thing, and you know, you're setting a fastest time across a, an amazing swath of mountains. That, that, you know, that's, that's, that's personally what I like to see. And... Uh one thing you did, it suddenly dawned on me, Jason, you did snow rock. Yes. You know, you did the hard rock course in winter. That was that was sort of dramatic. You know, that was one of the more miserable things I've ever done. Um, but, you know, I love hard rock. I live in Durango, um, you know, and that year I went and won hard rock. But, you know, with two other guys who were fantastic ski mountaineer, U.S. national team members, we spent, you know, 15 hours a day for, you know, uh, four days going all the way around. And that was one of my more proud accomplishments. And I think it's one of the most protected FKTs uh, that, that I know of because it's just such variable terrain. And then you throw in the dangers of the avalanche in the San Juans, which is extremely high. Indeed, they canceled the race. So you don't think anyone's going to go after the soft, uh, the snow rock record? You know, the Dureus brothers, and there's a couple other kind of people. You know, Killian obviously could do something like that, but the logistics and timing and being that the San Juans are remote, you need to know where the hell you're going, and you need to know the snowpack, and then also you have to be one hell of a badass ski mountaineer, endurance ski mountaineer, not a two-hour ski mountaineer racer like we know of. Indeed, that's a good point, because yeah. a lot of schemo is super high intensity. They're, at ski, they're always at ski areas, and they're going super hard. But this, no, 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 you're out there for a long period of time. And, of course, you're carrying your own gear. There isn't someone handing you food at aid stations. No, you know, it's the closest thing, like, you know, Pierre Minta or something like that, where it's a long time, but many days. But, uh, you know, 15 hours is something that most ski mountaineer athletes don't really tap into it's a kind of an obscure kind of uh, art of misery and Anna we just heard a, a fascinating conversation you said you love speak we're on hard rock somehow we got on the hard rock topic uh, and you noted that you love the course you love the culture you, you appreciate cultures in general but then you also just flat out said you don't like a hundred miles it's too far so that was that was a really fun thing to hear yeah, you know, uh, 100 miles is really hard. It's a long way. And um, 
unless you have put in a lot of miles and a lot of strength for your whole body strength um, it's really hard to get through it and again it's you go to a different place mentally you know a lot of doing 100 miles is all about where is your head and can you get through those dark times um, again it's something that we choose to do you know we're not running for our lives we we can stop at any point really we're the ones that push into when we you know go to apply to, to race these things um, so it's our own choice but when we go to these dark places um, it's about how we get through them and say okay well I've put myself here what can I learn from this place where I've gone to in this darkness and get out the other side because I know I can and of course one thing you might learn is that you don't want to do it again Right, yeah, but that's always the thing. You get to the end and you say, I hated that, I don't want to do that again. But sure enough, you sign up again for the next one. <laughs> I termed that uh, a number of years ago, short-term memory syndrome. That's a key to ultra running. Uh, you, you forget. But you have an interesting background. You're a top mountain runner. And of course, some people don't even know what that means, but there's a whole circuit of mountain races that are short and intense, well, relatively short and intense, and you're quite successful on that. But then you bumped to ultra running, and I don't know why, but I thought it might be because there's so much stuff around ultra running, like the interest in the sport seemed to shift to the ultra distances. Yeah, I think um, it was partly that because I was so intrigued to see what this was all about because it's such a huge growing sport. But um, it was also a long racing career. You know, I started racing in 2004 and um, that was in the short mountain running distances which were anything from 8 to 16 kilometres uphill only on the steepest thing, you know, not like zigzags, straight up. Um, and so I had done so many races and, and I was always looking for something more, something new. What else could challenge me? What was around the next corner? What was over the next hill? Not just physically, but also mentally. Like, where could I go once it got to 20 kilometers? Could I push that hard for another 20 kilometers? And then when I moved into the 50 mile um, distance, it wasn't really because I thought, oh, that would be great. It was sort of because someone challenged me and they said, why not and I was like I have no reason why not so I will do it and I hated every second of it but you know a couple of weeks later I signed up for another one so um, it was it was intrigue I was intrigued to know where I could go and I was intrigued to know what would it be like to just run that far Wow, that's, that's an interesting, it's an insightful perspective. Now we're sitting here with Jason who has this smile on his face, who's done this now for a number of years and you're, you're keeping on going back. So do you, do you feel the same way, Jason? Is 100 miles far or how are you feeling about that? I, I think the, there's, a, there's a magic thing that happens somewhere between 100 kilometers and 160 kilometers, 100 miles. And, and it, it's, it's an emotional, mental kind of dance between not just your body but your head and I feel like it's it's almost like a universal playing field you know equalizer where you know when you talk about some of those shorter races I feel that um, you know with your certain kind of body type and, and a preparation you can be really good at it and do very well and you know you push really hard 
and you experience it, but with the 100 mile, you really have to go and be an emotional kind of special place, and you, and you go to this kind of dark special place, or, or kind of a, a place of reckoning, and, and also self-chat, and, and being able to convince yourself that what the hell you're doing is worth it. It, it, it's a it's a magic kind of it's a, it's a magic barrier I think that 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 is created and I, I didn't know about it I didn't almost I frankly didn't believe it you know my first hundred mile when I went to run rabbit run and they're giving away lots of money that's part of the reason that I went and did it and I felt that it would be similar to the 50 mile that I had done before and Lo and behold, I'm standing, you know, running next to Dylan Bowman, you know, after being in second place, and I started walking, and I said, Debo, is, is, is this shit like this all the time? Why the hell do you do this? I mean, this is, this is just terrible. I'm going to quit the next A station. And I was so convinced that it was like, so dumb. I looked at him, and I said, are you going to drop? And he's like, no, no, I'm good, man. I'm going to keep going. And by the time I got to the A station, I was like, well, shit, well, I'm, I'm going to keep pushing. You know, and, and I ended up getting lost. Long story short, I didn't complete it. Two weeks later, I went to the grindstone, and I was like, I have to get this done. This, this race, this distance is something different and special. And I felt like I almost dishonored it by quitting because I wasn't doing my goals of getting a certain place or, you know, making a certain impression with sponsors. At this time, I was younger and wanted to be a professional athlete. And I realized that the 100 has a special mystique to it that is different than those other distances and I you know I, I hate it too but I also feel like it's one of those accomplishments that which when you're done it's like you know I did something really special here and also I was in touch with my real self opposed to just day-to-day -day grind kind of things that we get used to doing for particular purposes this one's a soul searcher and I need to do that and Anna's nodding her assent here. And, and I agree with Schlab that it's not fun a lot of the time, but it is special. And the thing about it, it gets in your blood. And you have to go and complete it. You need, it's like you need it in your life for some weird reason. You know how much it's going to hurt. You know how dark it's going to be. You know that it's going to take a huge amount of commitment and sacrifice to get just to the start line. But you need it it's in your blood you have to do it well, I'm trying to decide if this is a pep talk or not uh, it's, <laughs> it absolutely is says Anna well you two are still smiling terrifically so I, I guess this is a pep talk Let's, and by the way as I noted we really are at summer outdoor retailer here in Denver so if you hear background noise it's because there is a lot of background noise so thank you again for taking your time to have this conversation so let's, let's bump uh, that up into FKT action, which is a little different again, because even at the 100-miler, which is, can be really dark places, someone tells you where to go, when to do it, and is going to haul your sorry butt out of there if you have trouble. And they're going to even hand you food and water along the way. Well, FKT, no, no, no. You've got to do all that yourself. You have to figure it all out. So how do those two relate? I feel like long FKT attempts are extra personal and they are extra like you it's about what you want to do and, and, and it's less about racing or you know accomplishing something that people you know around you are doing or you know 
it, it, it's it's a it's right from the get go. You're alone, and it's kind of a it's a true transcendental personal experience. And I think that those kind of experiences are, are pure. And and I really respect people that do those kind of FKT attempts because. Uh, I think there's more likelihood of it being for maybe the right reasons or, or that experience is also something super special for that person. Yep, totally agree. You know, it's often the FKTs are what people are doing in their backyard. You know, it's that mountain range that they look at every day from their kitchen or from their breakfast table or it's that run that they do every day and they just want to link up all of those other runs or it could be a hike or whatever, you know, people are doing when they're doing the really long ones but it's definitely a passion you know you you're doing those because you're passionate about it sometimes um I feel like you can lose sight of why you race um because everyone else is racing and because it's the trend and because it's a growing sport and um because it's a thing to do so you sign up you do the training that someone else has given you and you go and do this race that someone else has planned but I think and so you sometimes lose sight of why am I actually doing this because you're so tired from all the training that someone else has told you to do for this course that someone else has told you to do but when it's your own personal FKT even if it is something like Nolan's which is a set course you know you've got to do these 14 mountains you still have to be like okay well how do I get to those 14 mountains I have to go and do that research and I have to start when I'm ready and I have to figure out the weather patterns and I have to figure everything out and if you're not really passionate about it you're not even going to get to the start (laughs) it's not only will you not finish but you're not even going to make it to the start so as Jason said you're doing it for the right reasons not external but internal because of what it means to you that's a good one that's an excellent perspective so Jason you've been as you mentioned colloquially speaking all over the world but China China's blowing up, isn't it? They want people to come there. It's this giant country. So should people who are listening to this go to China or should they go somewhere else? What, what would you tell people? I would say absolutely. I mean, I think anytime you leave your comfort zone and go out to a new place, you, you, you are likely to find something that's, that's um, you know, enlightening and then also enriching, you know, and, and then relationship as well. You know, you find more about the world and and I think that that's a, a great goal in life in general but uh, through the avenue of trail running China has a lot of opportunities and, and especially as you know generalizing for Americans I don't think we realize what is out there you know I didn't understand the Himalayas China where are the mountains how big is it I know it's huge but like how much of it is mountains what, what are the what are the towns like or, you know what are, is it is it all looking like Beijing? You know, it, and so when I went out there and saw that you know, the, the Sichuan uh, province had these peaks that people have never been up and, and, and places that had no trails and no, you know, it was just out there. It, it, it truly is a wild west frontier uh, in a lot of parts of the China that, that, that is, a, is a great place to go explore. And, and you can see you know, the Tibetan peoples and, and you can see the... The, the Asian culture and Chengdu and all, you know, there's so much to do and experience and the mountains are gnarly and they're steep and they're big and they're, you know, the, the foliage is different, the trees are different, the food's different. Yeah, you should do it, especially with how many races are popping up and, and uh, the energy of 
the generalizing again of, of Asians and Chinese specifically that are their, their passion is great you know rather it's taking a lot of selfies or you know being really fanatic about whatever fill in the blank trail running is one of those things and so to see that is is exciting and it makes you smile and laugh and it's different and I don't think you're going to lose by trying China out. Oh, good. And the food. the food. If you go to Asia, the food's good, in, in my personal opinion. New Zealand? Hmm. So, <laughs> a native of Dunedin, which is on the South Island, the dry side sort of on the, of the South Island. But New Zealand is an epic spot. All uh, Yanks know about New Zealand. It's like, to us... It, New Zealand exists as the frontier that we lost, and it still exists in New Zealand. So I think that's how we look at it, and to some extent, it's sort of true. Uh, it's it's remarkable. There's there's big the west coast of the South Island, you know, is, is about as wild as you can get. The Alps, because of the, the huge precipitation, get really wild. Fjordlands, they don't call them fjords for nothing. So New Zealand has a lot of opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And the difference is, is that it is remote, like you say. It's wild. You know, I think that's what really drew me to this area, the San Juan Mountains of Colorado, is that you can go everywhere. You know, there you can access so many different lines on the mountains. There's so many trails. But in New Zealand, it is dense. There is dense native bush that you are not getting through. So you have to follow the trail. And there is one trail in, and there is one trail out. And to get to anything big, and I'm talking, you know, in relative terms, 2,000 meters is big for New Zealand, you have to work really hard for it. You have to hike for a day, maybe two days, to get to the trail that's going to go up that peak. And so it's, it is remote, and it does take a lot more work to really be up there whereas here you know in these I'm talking in Colorado because to be honest I haven't done much of America um, it's a lot more accessible it's, it's a lot more opportunities to move freely here but in New Zealand there's a lot of opportunity to be really free and solo that's a one-liner I'll have to make that would be a good quote it's an opportunity to be really free well, Colorado is like a playground. It's like a gymnasium. So you have very, very good athletes come out of Colorado because, as you just said, the accessibility is good. I could start from this spot and go to any little spot in Colorado, any spot, and be back here within 24 hours. And these other places we're talking about, that would be absurd. You couldn't possibly do that. And we, So we have that accessibility, but other places have more of that wildness. But then we One thing that I would say is almost, you know, I'm in a position that's inversely the opposite of Anna. Like, I'm a Coloradan that has spent, a, you know, four or five trips to New Zealand, specifically the South Island. And one of the things that I really appreciate about the South Island is the diversity within a small space. Because of all those places you just mentioned, the fjords, the west coast, the Alps, um, you know, the, the east coast, there's a lot of variety for weather, for terrain, for the look, the ocean, glaciers. I mean, that's, that's something that we can't get even in the Alps or, or the Rocky Mountains 
in you know days and days of travel where in in New South Island and New Zealand you can get all of that you know in a number of hours it changes so quick it's so diverse it's such a fun playground in a small compact area you go over Arthur Pass and boom it's it's you're totally right Jason rain shadow yeah the rain shadow of the southern alps mount cook is Mount Aspiring, it's dramatic. The east side, where you're from, of course, Christchurch, is pretty dry. It's fairly mellow. The west coast, not at all. And the Fjordlands is just ludicrous. <laughs> well, the Milford Track, uh, they're, all called, they're all called trails. They're all called tracks in New Zealand, which is, is kind of fun. And one of the, I think it was the Guardian in, in uh, England, called it the world's best walk. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they called it. So, I, of course, I had to do it. You know, you're knee-deep in water on parts of this thing. Uh, New Zealand is green for a reason, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We um, have a lot of rain. We have a lot of trees, a lot of wind. Yeah. Um, and because it is so small, you know, you the weather comes in from the ocean, drops down on the mountains, and heads out the other way. Um on both sides of the island as well, you know. So it's it's a beautiful place to go and see really, really great native bush and a lot of it. Okay, here comes the key question. I'm going to ask you both, for our listeners, where do you recommend they go? Because you could just say in your own backyard. You could say Stanton Island. You could say China. And so this is, yeah, right. This is the open-ended question just to get people thinking and of course, like you said, Anna, it's their own personal meaning. And like you said, Jason, it's got to be for the right reasons, something that has some meaning for them. But what little tip, since you two have been around the world, what little tips, what little thoughts would you like to offer? And you could do a few places as well. You know, I, th- I think if you are a first-time traveler and you really want to just get blown away by trail and mountains and just be in the Disneyland of trail running, then go to the Dolomites of Italy and see the amazing structures of of trails, uh, of of the formations of the Dolomite rock, but the access to many, many different valleys that intertwine and wind around and travel through that with amazing huts, refugios, trains, uh, food, all, all of those things, and, and then even the signage, knowing how far, where to go. There's trails in every direction to go whatever mission you want, to include assisted climbs, which are like chains and ladders, or even, you know, the extreme really fun stuff, the Via Ferrata, where you, you, uh, you actually clip into a cable to protect yourself from falling and do vertical walls. That is my first, like, if you want just to have a trail Disneyland. As far as, like, somewhat accessible wild trail running that's not too far or too expensive, I would recommend going into South America in the the beginning of the Andes, being able to fly fairly inexpensively out of Texas and go to some of the South American places where you can see amazing mountains that are huge and even get down into, you know, further down into the Andes and see glaciers and lakes that are crazy. You don't have to change seven time zones, six time zones, ten time zones, whatever. And also, you know, it's relatively inexpensive. So that's, what that, that's my second one. And then the third one, if you really want cultural difference, 
and you really want to, to go and do a trail and cultural combination, I would suggest doing something in, in Oman where I happen to go in, in the Middle East. It's safe, it's fun, and it's totally different. Or China, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast. See different culture and see mountains and in a place that's so much bigger and so many more people and get that experience. That was brilliant. The Dolomites, the Disneyland, that's good. And of course, South America, where it's big, wild, and it's relatively inexpensive, or Oman, where no one else but you has ever been. <laughs> exactly. uh, well, we have a, a third edition to the podcast interview. We have Skylar, who's only three months, so we're not sure if Skylar's going to have anything to say. So instead, we'll ask you, Anna, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think... Um you know, I really recommend that people get to New Zealand while it is still remote and um, raw um, because it's such a different world to go and see an island that's still covered in such native bush. Um, but again, it's a long travel. Like, don't just go there for a week. Try and go for longer, which is a hard thing to do in this day and age. Oh, excuse us, parties. Um, <laughs> it's so rude. Um, but again, I think... Um, going in your own backyard is also a good start and you don't have to travel far to find what you're looking for you might decide to go and do three days on a long through hike that's near your house and that could be enough or you might decide to do different blocks around the city that um, you've never done before and that might be enough as well and I think um, I really saw that when Ricky Gates started planning his trip um, every single street around San Francisco and he had said before that um, after all his years of traveling when I had met him originally on the mountain running circuit in 2004 that he did, really didn't know his own backyard and um, so when he did every single street project it was it was awesome because he was in one city and doing all these different streets but had so many different stories and saw so many different things that you would never think, you know, that was really out there and it just wasn't really until you looked that you would see. Um, and so I think, yeah, I mean, it's wonderful to travel and I highly recommend it for cultural learning, for seeing that different Disneyland in nature, but don't forget that your own backyard is pretty special too. You don't have to go far to get what you want. Okay, thank you too, and thank you, Skylar, very, very much. And look forward to more reports. So we'll have you both back on that Fastest Known podcast again. Thanks. <laughs>